Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. So, uh, yeah, if you're just showing up here, this is the first official Foul Front live podcast. If you haven't heard, Thomas and I are the co-host of the Foul Front podcast now. And uh, we've been, I don't know, we've been putting out some podcasts, what, since January? I was about to say, no, I think we're coming up on like a year. I'm pretty sure we were talking about North Dakota early goose hunting last year, I mean, which is only like two and a half months, three months away at this point. So, well, I mean, like consistently though, I mean, we've been putting out at least monthly podcasts here the last few months, but yeah, I guess we did. Mm. We did start a couple of them last summer. Um, yeah. Yeah. Consistency is not our strong, suit, unfortunately. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's the off season. we got a lot of stuff to do. Um, we say that during we say that during waterfowl season. That's our excuse during waterfowl season too. Is that we have a lot of stuff to do, and now we're in the off season. Like, oh, we got a lot of stuff to do. Yeah, that's true. Uh, luckily, most of my stuff. I mean, my hunting has came to an end here. Uh, I finished out turkey season with my second tom. We were only getting two tags this year, and I was able to get him. I mean, he was close and came right in on a rope or on a line and uh so yeah we we're done with turkey season now it's i guess fishing and <laughs> off-season projects yeah yeah i guess uh my audio was out when a couple people asked about morels i did find some um monday we finally got some rain and i went out and walked and i think i found about five pounds or so uh actually had some morels sauteed morels with a dash of rosemary and I put those on some antelope loin I had for lunch today. So that was pretty tasty. What are you finding? Like the big yellows right now? Yeah, we're, I mean, we were so dry. Most of the state's been super dry. 
um, mm-hmm. when the grays typically would show up. So now it's just yellows. Now that there's moisture, yep. and I would give them a week, maybe ten days tops before they're all done. So yeah. But my yep. my my what? theory on uh, morels, and I don't. Um, there's probably some scientific evidence to it too. But when you find like a a dead tree that's recently died or been cut down or knocked over by whatever, go there the next year after if you have adequate conditions and you'll find morels. Because that's where I found a bunch where, you know, where I found them this year and where I found them in the past is where those trees have been disturbed. So little morel tip. Yep. There there actually is some science behind that. And I might butcher this, but basically like morels is a fungus that like the mycelium lives under the leaves in the soil and stuff. Yeah. And so like when a tree dies, that creates stress on that mycelium. I'm guessing it has some sort of symbiotic relationship with the tree. And so it puts up those mush, the mushrooms to spread the spores since it's the mycelium is no longer going to be able to thrive in that area. Like it's the same reason that um, if when they have big wildfires out west, the next year you go to those big wildfire burns and there will be morels everywhere because they put up the they're trying to put up their spores to spread out of that fire area. Yeah, makes sense. I guess I think I've heard like uh, like you said, mycelium mat and they tap into the trees and there's like an exchange of sugars, I think. And then the mycelium helps collect water for the tree is how that works. But. Yeah, once the yeah, tree's like dead, it's like, oh crap, we gotta we gotta get out of here. So it shoots up a, a mushroom and shoots spores everywhere. But Yeah. Yeah, I actually have a pretty cool story about that. Like in Virginia, we always look for dead elm trees. Like if you have a dead elm, if you find a dead elm tree, go there the next year, like almost a hundred percent of the time, you're gonna find morels there. And our my parents live in like in the middle of a city. Like think of a middle city like basically townhouses, like just concrete jungle. And so we would always obviously come back from the mountains or wherever with morels. And our neighbors right behind us had like a little yard box that had an elm tree in it and they cut it down. And the next year we get back from picking morels up in the mountains. I was like eight years old. I was like, Hey dad, look, there's morels right there. He was like, no way. Like we're in the middle of the concrete jungle. Like there's not morels right there. And like, sure enough, like obviously we had probably brought the spores there. The spores were probably, there probably weren't spores there to begin with, but we'd brought the spores there. And then when that elm tree died, it sent up like eight morels. So pretty wild to find morels in the middle of the city. Yeah. See, I've been, I've got, I don't have elm trees here. I've got hackberries and like a cedar tree in my backyard next to my garden. And Mm -hmm. every year, like, you know, when I'm cleaning the morels, I'll dump all the water just out there. So I'm yep. hoping eventually <laughs> they'll pop, you know, something will pop up and I won't have to look as hard for them, but nothing yet. Yeah. Maybe worth like trying to do like a little burn there this, this fall or something. Cut the tree down. <laughs> yeah. Or just do that. Oh. What, uh, what, what questions did we get on your community post? Okay, Should we go yeah. ahead and answer those? Yeah, I don't know if you got any on yours. We only had two here, and yeah, I don't think I had any. I think I tried to like. I don't think you could like comment on mine. Like it was weird how it shared. Yeah, that's just YouTube. I guess if anyone has any questions, drop them in the chat. We'll get to them. But uh, Dan O'Brien asks, "What size bismuth would you recommend for geese and divers?" 
So um, I'd say like number three is number fours. I I don't know. I mean, I'm sure you could use number twos, but I mean that the bismuth. My experience with bismuth is, bismuth is that it hits pretty hard. So I would think, I mean, threes, fours, like I try and shoot them in the head anyway. Like obviously you don't want to shoot a big fat honker in or a diver in the body or the wings if you can help it. So I just think go with a little bit higher pattern density and aim for the head. Yeah, I'd I'd say probably fives for divers. Um, just you know that's what I typically use and haven't had any issues there. <clears throat> And then for geese, uh, fours or um, like boss, what I use has a three five mix. That's pretty good on honkers. I've, at least for me, it has been. Yep. Okay. And then the other one is seems like both you guys are using inertia driven shotguns. Do you prefer them over gas operated? I'm, I don't think I've ever owned a gas gun. So. Yeah, I, I actually use both during the season. My Versamax is gas. And my Benelli's are inertia. So that's that's a tough one for me. Um, I just like I the simplicity know. of how easy inertia guns are to clean. I have, like, taken apart a gas gun before, trying to clean a buddy's gun, and, like, came out. Like, the, it ended up being, like, 25 pieces on the floor or something versus my Franke, you break it all apart, and it's six, seven, eight pieces. So... I like the simplicity yeah. of the inertia guns. You got to, I mean, you got to clean all the gas ports and stuff. And it, I mean, it can get filthy, especially if it's like one of the few guns you use over a season. So I don't know. I'd probably just go inertia. Yeah. I wish someone like, I'm sure there probably is, but like my only issue with the Benelli Franke inertia guns is just the locking bolt head. Like there has to be a better design where it doesn't, because like that's where, people always talk about the Benelli click. The Benelli click comes from you just getting like just enough dirt in there where that locking bolt head won't rotate and lock into place. And if they would find a way to make that bolt head a little bit more consistent, I think it would make their guns a little bit more reliable. <laughs> Public land waterfowler says he's going to buy me a bead for that Versamax. <laughs> <laughs> I, it, it, when I bought it, it had two beads on it. it had a you know the one in the middle of the uh, rail there. I can't even think of the name for it right now. Um, and then one at the end. And over time, they've both fallen off. So I don't really need them. Yeah, I'll take them if someone's gonna replace them for me. <laughs> I mean, they say you shoot like you should shoot better without a bead. Like for like the principles of shotgunning, like a bead is totally irrelevant. Like. The only thing you really need a bead for is turkey hunting. But like when you're wing shooting, you should not be focused on that bead at all. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. Oh, okay. Let's see. Make sure we didn't miss anything. Sorry about the sniffling. I got first day of allergies up here. So I got to start taking some allergy meds. Oh boy. Is that, uh, well, was it up there where you got like super allergic to was it wild rice? Wild rice, yep. <laughs> yeah, I broke I went out picking wild rice and broke out in hives. That was not fun. Uh, I also like didn't I I didn't end up getting any wild rice. Like I was too early 
So like all there was was just like pollen everywhere and the rice was still like pretty green. It's just like just an abomination. I, I mean, I learned like I won't like if I go to pick wild rice, I know to wait. But uh, yeah, made some mistakes that night. It literally looked like I went to the bar and just got sucker punched. Like the whole one side of my face was just swollen. Yeah, I, I think you sent us a video or something of that. That was pretty funny. Yeah, I got a good picture of it somewhere. See, I'm lucky where I, I don't, like the only thing I'm super allergic to is like poison ivy and, you know, oak and sumac, those three with the aerosol oils or whatever, however you pronounce it. Oh, I like it. I you know I have to go to like to the doctor if I get it to get steroids for it, but I don't oh, get wow. like the yeah like the breathing you know all the pollen and stuff doesn't affect me. Yeah, I think that's probably from a side effect of growing up in the concrete jungle. Is like I'm not allergic to a ton of stuff, but like grass and pollen just tear me up. Yeah. So uh, we heard about my turkey season, Thomas. I know you <laughs> missed one at. Uh, was it five feet or something? Five yards, yeah. Five, okay, five I don't yards. know. Whatever. And, uh, I don't even know if five feet would be possible. Well, I mean, obviously it would be possible. Like, you're shooting a extra full slug show. at that point. <laughs> yeah. Um, Minnesota's been pretty good. Like, it's, it's so different up here. I mean, the part of Minnesota I'm in is literally flat as a pancake. Like, you can find some creeks and river draws, but, like, literally, if you got up above the tree line like above the trees here got up 100 yards in the air you'd be able to see 10 20 miles in any direction there's just there's no terrain so it, it's way different than what i'm used to back home um their turkeys are also weird up here because the only way they survive the winter is by like hanging out around cattle yards and stuff like that so like at the beginning of the season they're in like these three four five hundred bird flocks and they act more like cattle because they've literally been living with cows all winter and like eating corn out of their shit. Um, but like this time of year, it's like, it's more t- typical turkey hunting. The birds spread out. Um, it's Easterns up here. So it's not that far off from what I'm used to, but just like very different terrain and very different um, wintering styles or wintering behaviors, I guess. So I went out, we, we actually did like a cool little turkey camp trip uh, two weekends ago now. Um, it was me, Corey, his daughter, and then her boyfriend. And so we split up in the morning and Corey and his daughter went out and me and her boyfriend went out and I called in three toms for him. He shot one of those and I did not have a tag, unfortunately. So the other two just kind of walked around and we're checking out their buddy. Um, and then Corey and his daughter didn't get one, unfortunately. And I actually just bought my tag yesterday because it's weird up here. You have to like pick a week. So like they have like A season, B season, like A through E. So like their season runs from I think like the second week in April all the way through the end of May. Uh, But like you can hunt, let's say you pick a week, the A week, you get to hunt that first week of the season and then you can't hunt again until the last week of the season. And it's only a one bird season up here. So I decided to just wait until the end of the season to buy mine. I'll be able to hunt these next two weeks. Um, guess how much a non-resident turkey tag costs up here? I don't know what it costs in Nebraska, but I was pretty surprised by the price up here. 200 Oh, no. It was 97 bucks, but still, oh, like, I geez. thought that was... I thought that was super high. I thought that was 
That sounds cheap. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, feel- I know we have a, like a quota here. Like they only they had ten thousand tags available and they sold out pretty quick. Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, which like I'm not I'm not opposed to it. Like obviously, this area it was like part of the introduction or reintroduction program. Like these turkeys were not here 30, 40 years ago. They were brought in by either Minnesota DNR or National Wildlife Turkey Foundation. And uh, so like the population is, is growing and uh, like, I don't have a, a problem with the season or the cost of the tag. I was just surprised by it being $97 to kill one turkey. So are you going to go back out the last week of the season then? Yeah, I can hunt like I can hunt anytime these next two weeks. I went out riding around this morning, but it was super foggy. Um, it's cool around here though. Like, there's a there's not a ton of public ground right where I'm at, but there's a bunch of public ground like 20, 30 minutes away. So I'll just go burn down there in the morning, ride around. There's so many fields here too. Like a lot of the times, it's like all the woods are public, and then all the fields are private. So, like, you just go ride around, see birds in a private field, go get in the public woods and just try and call them into the woods. So, pretty, like, fun, I guess. Not not a super hard style of turkey hunting, I'd say. Okay, we got a couple questions in the chat here, Thomas. All right. So, uh, I don't know if you want, if you want to answer this or not. Uh, did you ever float the James River? Um, this guy hunted in, well, Brad hunted in Charles city, Charles city. Uh, yeah, I, I like grew up hunting Charles city. I don't really haven't hunted down there the last few years. Um, I typically don't talk about like specific rivers, obviously, like just kind of like a no, no in my book, but like there's, there's good hunting. I think there's good hunting to be had on any public, any river in Virginia. Uh, the, the thing I would say about the James is that there's a lot of boat traffic out there with bass tournaments and stuff like that, and not a lot of food. So the best success I've ever had out there is in super duper cold weather. Okay. And then Peyton asks any new products or anything upcome or anything this upcoming season. So I've, I just got something new that I'm really excited about this week. Uh, I went to the greenhouse to pick out all my plant, like my peppers and tomatoes and stuff. And they have a new, at least to this area, new breed, new hybrid, whatever you want to call it, a pepper of jalapeno pepper called a Megatron. And I asked like the lady working like, okay, what's the deal with it? She said, it's the same kick as a jalapeno, but it's bigger and it's bred specifically for jalapeno poppers. So I am pumped to go get on some doves and then hopefully these things like grow exactly how they're supposed to. Cause like I've, I've grown decent sized jalapenos before, but you know, it seems like they never hold the dove breast or the tail breast and the cream cheese and then all the bacon too. So if it does all that, I'm going to be really impressed. <laughs> but, uh, so I'm excited about that. And then I'm sure I'm going to really get into more well i have been the last couple of years of snow goose so i'm gonna i'm sure i'm gonna buy a lot more snow goose gear get a lot more of that and uh i don't know we'll see what else i can come up with 
I don't know if I'm going to get it. I don't think I'm going to get a new gun this year. Uh, I'll say that. I think, I think I've had enough new guns for a little bit. If I did, it'd be like a 16 gauge or something oh like my that. God. Well, I need a 16. I'm trying to track down a 32 and a 24, but that's like almost next to impossible to do. So you're never even going to be able to get shells for them. If you do get them, I've got a you buddy, to hand load. I've got a buddy that reloads and he said he, if I can, if I can do that. If I can find one of those guns, he would hand load them for me. He would hand load bismuth for me. Hmm. So I, are I, the holes are the holes easy enough to come by? Well, they sell boxes of shells for I think both gauges overseas. So okay, I would, I would assume you could find them here and there. And I would, hmm. I would, I would, you know, if you reached out to some of them companies, I wonder if they want to like custom send you some or something. Like if they're sending them across across the ocean, why wouldn't they just ship them here around the states too? If someone wants them, yeah, that makes sense. I don't know. Yep. You got any new products or anything you're adding to your arsenal? Legally, mm. I guess. Yeah, like dog stuff. I, I'm going to have to... I haven't even really thought about it that much. Like, I've been working hard with him on training, but we haven't been making the best progress, I'd say. Like, we're making progress, but it's it's slow. Um, I'm, like... I have a ton of faults in my training. It's just... It's not something that really comes natural to me. Like when I watch Corey train, like he's very, it's very intuitive for him. He just like, he's very good at reading dogs and knowing how to get what he wants out of them. And I just struggle with that. So there's been a big time learning process. So I haven't like even really thought about like this hunting season with him, but I'm sure I'll be picking up like dog stand, um, probably modifying the kayak a little bit to have him hunt out of it. If he hunts this season, like, I obviously really want him to hunt, but I'm not, if he's not ready, I'm not going to rush him into it. I'm, I have a, like, I'm, I feel pretty confident that at the very minimum, I'd be able to get him on some like easy walk-in style hunts. Um, but ideally I'd love to get him hunting out of the kayak this season. I think that'd be really fun. Um, besides that, we're working on a bunch of new stuff for DRC. Um, I can't talk about all of it in depth yet, but like new duck calls, coming out um new goose calls um looking at doing some like customized calls too so like maybe some custom runs of like youtube specific calls so like could make 10 calls for matt um and have his logo on them and stuff like that or like i'm planning on doing stuff like that so a um, lot of cool stuff up here i just I, I love working up here the opportunities are endless so a lot of fun stuff that we're working on right now for the call shop and uh, branching out from that as well. Nice. Okay. Um, either of you know anyone that hunts or fishes out of a Hobie kayak? Um, um I kind of do. Uh, Go ahead, Thomas. I don't. I don't directly, but my buddy Nolan. Um, he does like kayak bass fishing professionally. So he has a Hobie. He hasn't hunted out of it yet, but I think he's planning on trying it some, uh, this season, but his younger brother actually has, has used it before. Um, and actually has like used it jump shooting, which is something I've always thought of. Like ever since I got into jump shooting, I was like, you know, what would be sweet would be a pedal drive kayak where you can literally have your gun at the ready all the time. 
and just pedal with your feet, have some sort of little blind to block your knees. So there's next to no movement. Um, and those Hobies have a sweet rudder on them too. My hangup was always that there's a lot of sticks down logs, stuff like that in the, in the rivers that I float. So I felt like that'd be a pain for obviously having that rudder sticking down in the water and having to portage and stuff like that. They're, those kayaks are extremely heavy. I've helped Nolan load and unload his several times. Uh, but from what Nolan's younger brother has said, it's extremely effective. Like he puts up a little board in front of his knees and can paddle pedal right up on puddle ducks using that. And then he said like for divers, you don't even need a board. Like you literally just pedal right at them and they'll let you get within range. So um, probably not everybody's preferred style of hunting, but, I don't know. I think it'd be interesting to try at least once. Yeah. So I guess, uh, I don't really know them, but I follow them on Instagram. <clears throat> uh, Midwest Fisher gal. She's a, also a kayak bass angler, really good. And she uses Hobies. Um, so there you go. I guess. I, Is that I, Kristen Fisher? Kristen Fisher? Yes. Yes. She's, yeah, she's from Nebraska. Yeah. She fishes like that same circuit that my buddy Nolan fishes. Yeah. She's always got, posts on about hobies and stuff so mm-hmm. oh they're they're so they're so sweet like my nolan came down and fished with me actually on the james uh, a few times this spring and like he has a little trolling motor mount for it that'll push him like six miles an hour so like he literally we hooked up the old town to the back of it and like we're running against the current going like four miles an hour with a little trolling motor like they're in, like he literally we, we went floating down a different river and he's like fishing circles around me he caught like 15 fish to my one just because like he can just slide into an eddy hold himself with the pat with the pedals and just like fish the seam perfectly meanwhile i'm like cast 10 pet 10 paddles cast like <laughs> they're sweet rigs they just cost like eight grand or five grand at least okay uh, favorite decoy brand. That's a easy. Bottle <laughs> approach. It is. Uh, they're they've got some excellent stuff. I will say that. They're I got those flocked head mallards from them like a couple years ago, and I don't baby them. Like, you know, you can put them in a slotted bag or something. The flocking has held up excellent after two years. So I was impressed. Yeah. And most of them the teal decoys aren't like this but the other ones are that rubberized plastic there's a couple other brands out there avian x is probably the one that uh, the other one that comes to mind when i think of that but that i love that plastic because that hard plastic it seems like you always find those ones just broken in you know Mm -hmm. in public marshes or something um i can i'm not gonna badmouth any brand specifically that i've found that just get brittle and break but uh also, that rubberized plastic, it eats shot like nothing else. Like, I've got, I've yeah. got, I've got some decoys with, uh, I mean, you can see the shot pellets stuck in it, and they're still, you know, they're still floating. So, I'm impressed yeah. with those. No, I've been very impressed with their entire lineup, like, um, everything they've come out with. I think the colors on the wood deck might have been a little off, but besides that, like, everything else has been sweet. I'm really looking forward to seeing them come out with some divers here soon i think uh i think they'll probably knock it out of the park on the divers they're they they definitely like go above and beyond to get really expert carvers for their decoys um and i think it shows like the widget and the pin everything looks incredible really 
those widgeon with their mouth open those things are sweet and the yeah it's like yeah i I completely agree i just want some to like i want one just to display because it's just it looks cool but yeah like in all reality that type of stuff like probably makes absolutely zero it makes absolutely zero difference to ducks like if a duck's close enough to realize that detail like he's well within your decoys which like i guess i shouldn't say it doesn't matter because like if you want to go out and land flocks of 30 birds like yeah having really realistic decoys does help um but like i think a lot of the stuff that i really enjoy about them is just like the functionality of them and how durable they are like i've had I don't know, four or five dozen other decoys for going on two seasons now. And I have not had a decoy fail on me. Like haven't had a keel break. Haven't had one of those hook clips rip out like nothing. So, um, really durable stuff, which is what I care about the most. Yeah. You're not, uh, not the easiest on gear. I think just like I am, you know, kind of beat it around. Yeah, absolutely. You're going to use it. You're going to use it. So that's, I want stuff that holds up. Yep, I completely agree. Okay. Are you oh, after your first full season of chasing snows, what do you think worked and what didn't? And what would you change for next? <laughs> okay, so I went out nine times snow goose hunting this year, I believe, is what it ended up being. And I shot four personally and then I saw thirteen total get shot over nine hunts. <laughs> so um, I found out a lot of things that didn't work. Uh, I, honestly, I think part of it was just the year. We had a lot of adults for a long time because of the snow line that was up in the Dakotas. It held them down here, so they were well-versed. And um, a lot of the days, you know, I I didn't really take off a lot of days to go. Well, I, didn't, I think I took one day off to go snow goose hunting. All the other ones were just weekend hunts. So I didn't really hit the good, great weather days where it was like blowing wind and I'd be driving around and I'd see them 10 yards off the, you know, off the fields or even landing on roads in some places. Uh, so I, I didn't hit the great weather days, unfortunately. Um, and our juvies pushed through really quick. Cause once that snow line melted, they were here and gone super quick. Uh, as far as what I've, I've talked to other people that were more successful. Um, you know, I did a lot of laying out in rag, or well, not rags, uh, socks. Uh, we mixed in some full bodies. I heard a lot of people had success with smaller full body spreads. Some of them were hunting pits. Some of them may have been laying out as well. Uh, it, and I heard they used less motion, less flappers, less silo socks, all that. Hmm. So I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that, that's part of the fun of hunting. And, you know, especially when you're doing something more like newer, like snow goose is to me is figuring it out. So, you know, I've gotten on a couple, you know, where they just couple hunts in the past where they just come in and they cup in and it's just, you know, what you, what you dream of as a snow goose hunter. And just seeing that it, it just drives you to get back out there and do that again. But anytime you shoot one snow goose, I've found, Oh, even just one duck, one goose, anything when you're out hunting, that's a great day in my book. So the key is figuring out how to get more than one now. And I want, you know, I want them decoying. I don't want to just sky bust them at 70 yards and 
you know, call that good. So that that's how I want to hunt them. But um, yeah. So hopefully that answers your question. <laughs> Do Blake I, and Alex hunt them at all around your area? Yeah, I actually went out with Blake and Alex a couple times. We on the lead push, we set out like a thousand or two thousand sock spread in frozen ground, and it was a migrator Ooh. spread. Took us a couple like. I think there was five or six of us and it took us several hours to set it out. And then we ended up <laughs> taking it down like a week later. <laughs> Cause I think even when I, they would hunt it when I wasn't there and it, they only got a handful of birds. So they, they got mm-hmm. smoked too. Um, yeah. This is Thomas from Hoke Outdoors Canyon asking if that was you. So. No. Okay. Oh, yeah, this is a good topic. Is Nebraska cracking down on out-of-state hunters just like other states? Elliot was saying Kansas might not on, might only allow non-resident hunters to hunt waterfowl on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday in 2024. Yeah, Kansas is talking about that. They had it on their commission meeting a was that a week or two ago now. Uh, they're talking yeah. nothing's finalized. There's still a lot of stuff that has to go through. Elliot would be, and Josh even, from outdoor limits would be better resources because they pay more attention to that because they hunt Kansas way more often than I do. Um, but yeah, they're, they're making some big changes. Nebraska, as far as I know, other than on some like big game stuff, Turkey and deer and stuff, they are cracking down on non-residents, mainly limiting tags for non-residents. Waterfowl. I have heard nothing on currently. Um, we don't have a lot of public land, so a lot of people really don't come here unless you're with a guide service. It's kind of how that works. Uh, but there, there is, you know, I mean, there's, there's a fair amount of pressure. It actually is, depends where you go. In early season especially, there is a ton of pressure. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know. It'll be interesting because, like, most states around us are limiting non-residents, so it wouldn't surprise me if in the next couple of years Nebraska is right there with them to follow suit. What other what other states are doing it? Well, South Dakota has the non-resident, um, yeah, deal. Uh, North Dakota's only two weeks at the max, yeah, so I, I guess that is somewhat restrictive. I want to say Missouri might be something. There's something with Missouri. I don't know if it's ta- like blind draws or something, and maybe that's yeah, it's just blind draws, but non-residents can't i don't think non-residents can enter into their blind draws like if you go and hunt one of the areas where they have assigned blinds i think you just have to four line it as non-res yeah i wonder like are you you probably weren't old enough even or like probably didn't i don't know if like the internet was even around like i don't when did north do you know when south dakota implemented those regulations and like was there any sort of outcry because like they've been the standalone state up until this point that like had like really serious restrictions on non-residents as a whole. Like obviously Arkansas has the WMA stuff, but like you can still go hunt federal land there. You can go hunt the rivers. Like there's a lot of ways to circumvent that. Like South Dakota is pretty cut and dry. Yeah. I don't, I want, I can't remember when that lottery thing went into effect, but I, I don't think it was, uh, you know, it wasn't, it's still fairly new is what I'm trying to say, I think. Okay. I mean, ever since I've got into waterfowl hunting, like, and I guess it probably like in the last five years, I would have paid attention to anything like that. Like it's always been like that. So 
So when I first started going out hunting, I, I wasn't actually hunting, I, you know, cause I was only like three, we still had the point system mm-hmm. here in Nebraska. So instead of a daily bag limit oh, really? of this many birds, yeah, Nebraska was one of the last states to get rid of the point system. And I want to say it was right before 2000. It was like 99, 98, somewhere in there. So, hmm. yeah, I, I, I can, I wish I would have saved some of them duck guides from back then, you know, like, like my dad, I wish he would have saved some of those. But yeah, when I first was started out going out duck hunting, we were on the point system. Oh, that's pretty wild. Bring back the point system. Oh man, that I don't know. That's there's <laughs> I don't I'm not even gonna touch that. There's there's always like online debates about how the zones here are in Nebraska. So I can just see a lot of people <laughs> up in arms about the point system too. Mm-hmm. Well, like it takes a lot of or it put a lot of trust in the citizen is I guess the way to say it. Cause like, from my understanding, like let's say a mallard hens an 85 point bird, you get a hundred points in total. You go out and shoot two teal and then shoot a mallard hen. You're supposed to stop right then. Cause you're yeah. over a hundred points. But like in reality, like let's say you went out and shot nine teal. You're at 90 points you could still shoot a mallard hen at 90 points. You're well over a hundred points, but you didn't have over a hundred points when you shot her. So like, I think maybe I'm completely wrong. I thought that's the way it worked. Like, cause I'd heard that basically it was, it was tough to prove that people were doing stuff incorrectly on the port point system. Cause there was a way that it was set up to stop people from targeting specific birds or shooting like, by making mallard hens such a heavy point bird, like they were trying to stop people from shooting them basically. Yeah. And there's, I mean, there's still people like the old timers, uh, you know, across the state, they'll talk about uh, game wardens. They would carry a body thermometer to put in the dock. So they could test, you know, they could test when you shot that hen. Now, if that would actually hold up in court, I don't know, but that was the the whole urban legend. (laughs) back in the day is the game warden would carry or at least some game wardens would carry with those those body thermometers Um, oh that's pretty wild oh here's here's one for you thomas while we're kind of on the topic of bag limits have y'all heard if the atlantic as a whole is going to four mallards north carolina changed their daily limit to four for 23 24 yep so um atlantic population mallards are back up like i think 1.2 1.2 million was the survey last year, which is really good. Um, I, I think I'm almost certain it was north of a million at least. And the thing that I saw that like is kind of throwing me for a loop is that so like the way that they do the limits now is based off models, basically. Like they do a duck survey, they say, Hey, we have we think we have approximately 1.1 million breeding mallards in the Atlantic Flyway. They then plug that into a model and that and that model tells just spits out a number and says, all right, this is how many birds can be harvest harvested sustainably. Um, what I read is that like the model said that we should be at four birds 90 something percent of the time or like 80 percent of the time. 
So I don't know how that's going to work. Like, is it going to be four birds from here on out? If the numbers stay consistent, like four birds for four years. And then all of a sudden we go back down to two or three for a year. I don't really know how that works. Um, but yeah, from my understanding, um, the Atlantic flyway as a whole is going back to four mallards next year. And then also our goose limits are going back up. So um, like in Virginia, the AP zone will be back up to a two bird 45 day season. That'll be the same on the Eastern shore of Maryland. And then I'm guessing up in New York, they'll go back to like a three bird 45 day season, or maybe even a three bird 60 day season. So hoping to see Steve Nunn's make some videos again. He kind of, they went to a one bird season just like we did this past year. Um, and it seemed like he kind of quit making videos. So hoping to see some stuff from up in his neck of the woods. I was, I always enjoy watching other stuff from the Atlantic flyway. So, Oh yeah. I, I love watching Steve's videos. He does a great job. Um, so if you guys haven't checked out Steve Nunn's definitely go check him out. He's got some really I don't good think he posted. Yeah. I don't, yeah. He's a great shot. I don't think he posted a single video last year. Like, and he had kind of started talking about it. I think he also had some gripes with YouTube and just like the way YouTube was working. Um, but yeah, I watched his, his videos were some of the first that I watched just cause they were like the most relatable to what I grew up doing. Yeah. Or some of my first waterfowl experiences. Okay. So got a couple comments here. Uh, apparently the uh, lottery system, I'm, I was mistaken. The lottery system has been in place in the Dakotas for a lot longer. I could have sworn there was something, maybe they changed something up. I, I don't know. I don't pay that much attention, I guess, to South Dakota. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to try and draw for down there this year. I meant to last year and completely forgot. Um, also, like it's kind of complicated. Like, I obviously, if you do a little bit of research, it's probably not that complicated. But like, if you just like type in South Dakota waterfowl lottery and then look and pull up the page, it's like ten different zones and it's kind of weird to try and figure out which zone you'd want to be selected for, especially as a non-resident hunter who's never been there before. I'm trying to, I'm trying to find the exact year that all these point system bag limits went away in each state. And there's not a lot of good data on it. Mm. You want me to, do you have any more questions in there? Yeah. I if you can... want to go through the chat. All right, yeah. Figure out how to. Um. GGW. Uh, yeah, Pamlico Point. I guess the cat's out of the bag on that one. Like, complete spot burn. Just saying the name of it, but like. It, it was pretty obvious where it was. Um, yeah, never going back there again. Like, I have no interest in that circus. Like, I don't, I don't know how anybody finds that fun at all. Honestly, like it was one of the most just boring. I, I guess I can't say boring, but just like frustrating hunts I've ever been on. Um, for those of you who don't know what we're talking what i'm talking about i went on a north carolina teal hunt last year and there's like obviously teal migrate through north carolina but like there is 
very few spots that consistently hold teal. Um, and that is one of them. And so me and like a buddy went down there and met up with a couple other buddies. We were like the second boat there at 2 a.m., but you can't enter the impoundments until 5 a.m. And so like 10 other boats show up, foot race in there. Everybody sets up within like 200 yards of each other, like people shooting towards each other, just like just a, a circus. So, yeah, not not fun in my opinion. Not, wait, just not worth it. Like even if we had all walked out with full limits of teal, I would be saying the same thing like, just not fun. I don't want to go back. Um, Husker Nation asked, is the bird flu pandemic over? Heard a lot a few months ago and folks worried about the conservation season might be dropped, but haven't seen much recently. Um, I don't know. I haven't seen anything from it up here. From my understanding, uh, it tends to not be as prevalent during the spring, like as as birds spread out uh, into breeding pairs. I think that's why uh, there's a lot. There was talk about it affecting the conservation seasons because snow geese are one of the few birds that are still in those giant flocks um, in the spring. But uh, I did actually. I saw. I saw it firsthand this fall. I went down to Arkansas in November just for a couple days. And we were literally watching snow geese fall out of the sky. Like, and all the guys down there thought it was because um, there had been that big freeze up north in Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota, and the birds were just really tired from flying. But then, like, a couple days after I left, you started to see Facebook posts about uh, these huge die offs on the roost there. Like, people were taking videos of just hundreds and hundreds of dead snows and dead ducks. Um, so I, I feel pretty confident that what we saw was um, was the beginning of that uh, kind of spread on the wintering grounds down there of the avian flu. But pretty wild stuff. I've never been sitting in a blind before and watched birds fall basically dead out of the sky for no apparent reason. So uh, had everybody kind of scratching their heads. Yeah, I, I saw some. Um... Um... I saw some this year and it had uh like I noticed it in living ones when I was taking pictures. Do you have the Winchester SX4? I have, I have a yeah, 20, you do. That's 20, 20 gauge, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'll have to do some more. I can't. Have to I can't hear you. Can you hear me now? I oh, still can't hear you. You're muted. Oh, wait, I'm mute. Wait, I don't have any sound. Okay. Shoot, were you like talking at all there? Like I was totally, I couldn't hear anything you said. <laughs> I was a little bit. Uh, I was just probably talking straight over you. My bad. No, you're fine. Um, so I, I was saying that I did notice bird flu in a few birds, mainly when I was taking pictures, actually, because you can see if they have a bluish film over their eye, they say that that's an indicator that they have the flu. And then if you know if they're acting different than a typical bird would, uh, that's a good indicator as well. But um, luckily, I didn't notice it that much. It was mainly in Canada geese that I noticed it in. Oh, gotcha. Um, any news on your SX4 that shot high? Uh, yes, I sent that in. I didn't even use it last year. I sent it in last year, and they fixed it. There was an issue with the barrel. Um, 
so yeah, I, I just never, never really picked it back up again after, after I got it back. Cause I was just used to using the 20 gauge or the 28 gauge and the 12 gauge, but all my guns other than my TriStar 28 gauge are fixed and hopefully working now. <laughs> very nice. Very nice. Um, Minnesota Greg Outdoors asked any Minnesota hunts planned. I'm not sure if that's for both of us or just me. I have a, yeah, I'll be hunting Minnesota just as much, if not more this fall. Um, planning on staying up here. Probably actually, I don't know. It depends. Like I really like it up here. The winter is pretty harsh and their season ends kind of soon. So, um, I'll probably still try and kind of head South for, december january time frame but planning on hunting up here september october november up until the freeze up um trying to trying to kind of branch out the only gripe i had from last season and this it's only like a gripe on myself is that like i only hunted like the same three spots up here all season long just because like they were not a far drive and they were really consistent consistently good hunting but I do want to kind of try and spread out and do some different styles of hunting up here and explore some new territory. So you're going to make a drive up here, Matt. I was actually meaning to talk to you about that. I know we kind of planned on it last year and it fell through, but I would like to get back up to uh, get back up. Well, I've never been in North Dakota. Yeah. I'd like to get up for an early season goose hunt in North Dakota. Yeah, I'm not doing early season goose this Come year. Come on. No, it's wanna... like, I don't want to wait till September first. I got spoiled my first year, and then like last year, we got our teeth absolutely kicked in. Um, and then this year, they just got a bunch of rain out there. They had a bunch of snow out there. Like the thing about it is to have like a really good August, like especially because their early goose season runs until like mid September. Um, maybe even like third week in September because that's when their duck season opens and goose season opens along with that too. But their early goose season, like you get molt migrators in September. So it's a very different style of hunting than the August hunting. Like the August hunting, you're just hunting resident birds. And the first year, it was a drought year. So the wheat got cut super early. And then last year was a wet year. So like there was no wheat cut. And I have a feeling like maybe it'll be another drought summer. I hope not. But um, I have a feeling it's going to be another wet year up there. So, like, especially, I mean, maybe that last week in August will be good. But, like, that first week of the season, if there's no cut wheat out there or very little cut wheat, like, it just, the pressure is outrageous. Okay. Well, you just dashed all my hopes on that deal then. <laughs> well, like, there's other, no, I mean, just, I don't want to. I actually have a wedding your... one of those weekends, so. Like I would like what I would say is like South Dakota has a August goose season and they have silage corn down there. Maybe they have silage corn somewhere in North Dakota. I've never seen it. Um, like, so like <coughs> I'd be much more interested in going and trying to hunt silage corn down there that like you pretty consistently know is going to be cut at a certain time of year. Okay, so we had had some people ask. Okay, about the twenty-eight gauge TriStar. Yeah, so first first twenty-eight gauge I ever bought was a TriStar Viper G two. Uh, it shot well enough. Um, actually, has a high pitch little 
pitch after every time after you shot you can kind of hear it in some of the videos uh over time though it would jam up randomly so you might shoot twice you might shoot once and then you couldn't shoot anymore after that and there was uh the shells would kind of get caught in it there was a burr in it the stock has since cracked on it as well uh when i first bought it i had to send the barrel in because the the chokes that i ordered for it didn't fit the threading was off so they had to you know re re uh i'm trying to think re-thread them so it fit the chokes that i had to tristar's credit their customer service is amazing like easily some of the best customer service i've ever dealt with and they were really timely in getting it back to me but i mean it's just it wasn't it didn't matter how much i cleaned it didn't matter uh you know whatever so i i need to send the rest of the gun back in but I just, I bought my Benelli and I <laughs> kind of didn't want to mess with it anymore. So hopefully get it fixed and then sell it. So I don't have to worry about it anymore is my plan. Thomas, yeah. do you want to buy a 28 I... gauge? <laughs> no, I have, I have one now. Well, oh, well, okay. This is news. No, I told you about this. I, I don't I bought one for my... I bought one for my sister last year um, before dove season. It's a Mossberg International, so it's made by um, one of the Turkish companies. Turkish made 28 gauge, basically a TriStar. Um, bought it for her. Like, she likes it. She uses it. But, like, my dad, like, she doesn't really go hunting with my dad. Um, so, like, I'm the only one that takes her hunting. So, if I'm not home, she's not going to go hunting. So, I was like, can I just bring this up to Minnesota with me this year. Like you're obviously not going to go hunting unless I come back to hunt with you in September. Um, so I have that with me. Um, I towed it around the Turkey woods, um, yesterday when I went out. So, uh, yeah, I'd like to shoot Turkey with it, but pretty sweet little gun. Like it's a sweet, sweet, sweet shooting gun. Um, I did actually, I shot it in Texas on one hunt. Um, so that was my first time using it for ducks or no i shot it at uh at at pamlico point on that teal hunt too uh so yeah kind of weird to bring it back to there but um i've used it a couple times but i don't know i like i just i'm so used to shooting my 12 gauge like i don't like switching like i'm so i just i feel so confident and consistent with that frankie that shooting at, at actually anything else like puts me way off my game i shot i like Corey has a 20 gauge sb3 love how that feels like love how it swings i like i don't shoot well with it i just it's like i'm so used to that fronky at this point that that's uh i don't know it's the only thing i feel really consistent with well part of that might be the rib system between the benelli and I'm not sure what Franke's, how they do it, but Benelli has a higher rib typically. That's why everyone yeah. says they shoot high. It's just, yeah. it's the European versus the American model. Yeah, just, you got to float the bird. Yeah, no, I'm pretty sure Franke's are a raised rib too. Okay. Oh, okay. I want to know who at Fox News watches Matt's channel. <laughs> yeah, for real. That was wild. That was super cool. Congratulations. I, you made the... Yeah, I, I mean, no I guess <laughs> any like any mainstream news isn't really cool, but like if they're like you made it to the best of the worst. 
I don't know. Not I was, to diss you. I was, uh, I was just literally sitting at work, and I get a notification on my phone, like someone tagged me in this video. And they're like, did you know about this? This was like, I was like, no, that's that's pretty cool. That that was really yeah. cool. So. Yeah, it's super cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah sorry. Like, I was not trying to diss you. I just not <laughs> no, a big fan no, of me. Not a big fan of mainstream media. No, I I typically just watch sports so or hunting. <laughs> um, Peter asked if I'm going to do any more float trips for geese. That's actually something that I'm like really weighing this year because um, Minnesota has early goose season. They have an early teal season. It's only for like seven, six or seven days, so not a really long one. Um, and then they also have a dove season. So like, I'm really thinking about staying up here uh, for September this year and like trying to maybe get into um, North Dakota and go do some early goose, early molt migrator hunting over there. And like just kind of exploring the upper Midwest in September, just because it would be different from what I'm used to. But at the same time, um, like the past three or four years, we've, I've kind of made it a tradition of doing goose floats on the Virginia rivers with my buddies. So it's going to be really hard not to go home and do those goose floats. But, um, yeah, I'm really thinking about it. And there's even a possibility I might be way further North than Minnesota and North Dakota in September. Um, that's like very up in the air at this point, but yeah, it could be way up in like the actual tundra possibly. So that'd be cool. Yeah. So yeah, I got like a bunch of things up in the air right now, but I'm sure I'll have to make a decision here before too long. Like even if I don't go back in September to do the goose floats, I'll probably try and get my buddies to film them anyway, just because they're like, just a fun style of hunting. Like I'd probably just ask, ask Nolan to film on his, because Nolan has a YouTube channel as well fishing youtube channel so i'd probably just ask him to wear his gopro and like pay him to send me the footage um because he'll go out there and catch 20 20 inch smallmouth and shoot a limit of geese at the same time so pretty fun i guess i should mention uh i i went on a uh, hunting trip recently well kind oh. of kind of a hunting trip i guess i should say uh, we had Game Hogs bachelor party. If you remember, yeah, Game yeah I, be, I did want to ask you about that. Yeah, so Devin. yeah, we went down. To, I missed him on your videos. He said he's gonna he's gonna be come. I I, I, I tell him every year, man, man, you got to come out duck hunting with me. He's he's big on the uh, the deer hunting though. He always has been, but uh, no. he got bit by the waterfowl bug for a few years. <clears> and now he's back on the back on the deer. <laughs> So, but he says he's going to come back out here for a couple hunts, hopefully. So looking forward to that, but we got to spend a weekend down, um, in Texas in doing a bachelor, bachelor party hog hunt with him. Um, first night we went to Fort Smith, Arkansas, and then we drove through the winding stair mountains in Oklahoma, which that was really cool. Um, I guess if, if anyone didn't know i'm a big turnpike troubadour they're my favorite band everywhere in that area eastern oklahoma is like things they sing about in their songs so it was really cool to be like oh <laughs> i recognize this place and this place and this place and then we uh crossed the border down into texas 
and went to this uh we had this guide service this hunting guide service deal and i wouldn't really call it hunting because it was a high fence operation but i mean it was still fun got some got some good pork from it i uh used my 243 that i shot my antelope with and then uh a bunch of deer in the past so that was really fun uh the biggest hog was shot by uh, Devin's soon-to-be father-in-law, and it was 217-pound boar. Huge, Whoa. huge, huge pig. So we got some good meat, and it was just it was just a fun time. But yeah, never never hunted in Texas before, and never been down to that area before. So that was really cool. Cross that off, and uh, I don't know. I've what he, he the the guide has a bass pond too, and. Uh, I asked him, I was like, so do you get any like ducks down here? <laughs> like that's the first thing I asked him when I found out if he had any like, you know, any, uh, or when I found out he had some ponds and stuff, I was just really curious about that. And he said, he really don't get much a few gators. Really? Yeah. How far were like, were you like in the tree area? You said like East tech, Eastern Texas, kind of. Yeah, we were. Where was it? I want to say Naples, Texas is where we're about that area somewhere in there. Okay. I gotcha. Yeah. Cause yeah, it's like, it's weird how it works out there. Like Texas is, I think such a cool state for waterfowl. Cause like you get over on the Eastern side of the state and like, it's kind of like it is on the East coast, like your farm ponds and stuff don't really have that many birds. And like a lot, there's a lot of swamps and natural stuff that they get on. Like, but versus like, if you take like a, two three acre farm pond out in west texas like it's a hundred percent gonna have ducks on it like just any sort of water out there is money so i just think it's super interesting how it varies in one state but texas is absolutely huge so makes sense yeah it was uh, it was some of the most beautiful country i've ever seen uh lush is the best word i could describe it i guess this area of Texas we were in, everything was just like green. There was pine trees mixed with like oak trees and then a whole bunch of brush. I mean, it makes sense how hogs could just like overpopulate there really easily because they're, they can just hide so easily mm-hmm. in there. It was humid as crap too. I'm not used to the humidity and just, I was dying. It was 90 degrees each day. No wind the first day we were there and like 90% humidity just, killed me like i I was like "Eh, this is why i hate summer and i think it's so (laughs) i think it's so funny like the things that midwesterners appreciate and complain about like i don't know just from like my perspective like like y'all think like anything green is cool and like humidity is the worst thing to ever like pop in like it's just it's it's really funny like how people across the country value things differently i don't know probably like a really basic point but i don't it's just something i always find interesting (laughs) do you uh have you do you listen to whiskey myers at all oh yeah ballad of a southern man what's that you guys didn't stop at uh the timeout off 155 did (laughs) you we did not no (laughs) no we went you know that's a real place right i i yeah i've heard that (laughs) oh you've heard it okay i never no we didn't go there (laughs) it wasn't your typical bachelor party we went hog hunting uh 
we went to a we did go to a casino the first night in Oklahoma because there's like casinos everywhere. Um, yeah. Apparently now they have legal weed because that there's like shops for that everywhere too. Like it was. That's what I've heard. There's like a green yeah. hut every other like. I don't know. There might be more weed stores than McDonald's in Oklahoma at this point. It's crazy. <laughs> but <laughs> no, we went we went to uh, went to a casino. I did good. I only lost thirteen dollars. So. Oh, very nice. I'll, I'll take that as a win. <laughs> but no, it, it was a fun time. Good to see Devin and all the other guys too for a while. So hopefully he makes that trip back out and get him back out on some videos. Give him a hard time. Yep. Uh, no, we didn't need a license to hunt hogs in Texas. Answer that question. I would absolutely love to do a gator hunt down in Florida. Um, someone mentioned yeah, me too. Solo outdoors mentioned that I, what I would like to do. And I don't know if the seasons, I haven't even looked at it for the seasons. Um, but I'd like to go on a gator hunt and then get some like whistling ducks. If you know, if that's possible, like, you know, I want to get all the cool stuff down in Florida. Maybe not a Osceola turkey. I'm not, I mean, I don't really care too much about the uh, subspecies, but definitely some whistlers, maybe a nice blue wing teal and uh, a nice gator. I've never even tried gator, but I've heard it's really delicious. So it's, I don't know. I've had it a, a few times. Like, I don't think it's bad by any means, but like, honestly, I think like any sort of like reptile, amphibian, like they're all kind of similar. Have you had frog legs before? Mm, it's been a while maybe once i want to say yeah it's like all that like white like they always say like it tastes like chicken it kind of does like it's just like a white pretty flavorless meat like it all depends on what sort of um seasoning you put on it like gator is a little bit sweet but it's all pretty kind of bland in the general scheme of things Hmm. um we got a question. Have you ever hunted out of a layout boat? Have you have you ever hunted out of a layout boat, Matt? Oh, almost had a voice crack there. <laughs> no, I uh, I haven't ever hunted out of a layout boat. Um, Is it I, legal to hunt out of them in Nebraska? Yeah, you could. And there's and there's not a ton of places. You could probably do it on some of the like the big reservoirs and even some of the maybe like a nice farm pond too. With there's a push day, you can get like. <laughs> ringers and stuff but uh as far as like sea duck hunting or something no i've never i've never done that i think i think it'd be fun i think i would miss a lot because i do not shoot from that position i think i can count on the number of times in one hand i've shot out of a layout blind so i i just mm. hate shooting from that position but i do you know i'd, I'd be open to try it at least once it's it's really fun um Minnesota's super weird because like there's only three parts like three areas in the state where you can hunt out of a layout boat and like there's a huge push of divers that comes through but um like there's I don't know 20 lakes within an hour of me that would be awesome for layout boat hunting like I would probably own a layout boat up here if you could do it but the only way you can like there's you can layout boat hunt on Lake of the Woods I think on Malax and then like part of the Mississippi River. Um, and otherwise, you have to have your boat partially concealed within vegetation, which like completely defeats the purpose of layout boat hunting. So, super dumb. Minnesota is like 
great about that. Like probably the, like, I, I love the hunting up here, but like they have so many dumb arbitrary laws, like just makes you shake your head. Ooh, okay. This, this Florida trip might have to happen. That <laughs> So flower outdoors just, just keeps adding to it. So no, I, I definitely want to get down there. That's I'm hoping I can draw my swan tag this year. That's that's my number one ticket on where I'm heading this year. I've got one. Where are you going to draw? For Utah? Yeah, so I've got one preference point last year, whatever you call it. And they say as a non-resident, you can draw with two. You can. Why don't you I, just... I don't know if it is how, you know, how... Pull a North Dakota one. Well, I just want to. Because what are you gonna? Are you gonna? Are you gonna try and freelance it down there, or do you have contact? I've got some contacts, but I, I, I guess I want to go and you know I want to hunt because I want to just hunt swans. I'd hunt ducks too. Yeah, absolutely. I want to. I want to see like I've never because I've only been to Utah once. I want to see like the Great mm. Salt Lake and just the mountains and stuff. I want to. I want to take all that stuff in too. So it's kind of a scenery deal, but also bag of swan and maybe some other cool ducks too. Well, I don't know. We'll see. You know, you can shoot a trumpeter there. Yeah, but if you do that, you can't shoot a swan for like another five years or something. It's and mm-hmm. if once they hit that quota, swan season it done. shuts down. Yeah, yeah. So I don't want to be that kind guy. of. A, I don't want to be that you're guy. kind of a d bag. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't want to be that guy. <laughs> the thing is, like, I'm not going to name drop, but like, there's people on social media who have specifically talked about going there to shoot a trumpet or swan, like full well knowing that like if they do it, like they're just adding to another bird in the quota, like shut the whole season down. Like so, yeah. it's like pretty, pretty sad how selfish some people can be. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's, there's some of that with the seed ducks I've been hearing too. Like, you know, the Harlequin duck, in particular is well i think they've shut down the season in like washington washington mm-hmm. um because people were you know everyone wants a nice drake which uh, they're beautiful ducks but it takes them several years to reach breeding age and so everyone's going out targeting these drakes for taxidermy purposes or just for trophy purposes and it des it's decimating the population so as much you know that's I, I want to be cognizant of that is basically what I'm trying to say. Like, I don't want to do irreparable damage by just because, you know, I want to, you know, hunt one of these. So I, I would definitely make sure it was a tundra swan if I was going out there. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. It's not like, I don't think it'd be that hard to tell. Like I've never really seen them side by side before, but I've seen tundras up close and I've seen trumpeters up close. They sound nothing alike. And trumpeters are absolutely massive. Like, yeah. if you're like people who like claim a case of mistaken identity, I could understand at first light or last light, but like any other time, like you just don't know your birds. Well, and you, so when you do this, at least in Utah, you've got to take a swan test. Yeah, it's, I heard about that. It's pretty, I mean, it, it does a pretty good job. I feel like, you know, like uh, the main difference besides size and the sound, it, but for a t- trumpet, yeah. For a trumpeter between a tundra is the tundras have like a little yellow tick on their mm-hmm. bill. So you got to yep. watch for that, which, um, yeah. With the 28 gauge, I don't know. I, I don't know if I, <laughs> if I, uh, 
have full confidence in my ability. I mean, basically, you got to shoot him in the head. You got, yeah, so, you got to shoot him in the head anyway. Just shoot TSS. I would 100% take the 28 gauge. Well, like, no, I'm going to take it, but I don't know if I'm going to go after the swan with it. I might I'll, no. I'll have my 12 gauge as well. No, nah, go after the swan with it. There's, like there's like you said, you, you you have to shoot him in the head. Like if even if you shoot him in the body with like obviously you might break a wing with like 12 gauge number 2 with number 2s or something, but like there's no point in shooting him in the body. Yeah, you want like a cuz there there are some guys that I've seen do it on YouTube and I've uh I messaged them like you know what what are you using they're saying like nine shot tss out of it when they use like a 28 gauge some guys even use a 410 I'm like, holy cow but uh, i definitely want tss to no matter what gauge i'm using <laughs> oh tim in here with the jokes gosh that's a good one <laughs> dog cat and like people's grandma i feel like i've seen at least a couple stories this year about them just like snatching people down into the neighborhood retention ponds down in florida Jeez. yep was it hey, like i was thinking I'm, there was like a gator in kansas last year that was loose or a couple years ago do you remember hearing there was like about that? No, i didn't hear one about that i heard one about in like new york Someone there was like one in Long Island or not Long Island, uh, like Central Park. I thought it was like oh, they thought it was someone's pet gator or something got let go, and it was like on the Missouri River or something. But maybe I was, I could just be totally botching that. But I could have sworn it was in Kansas. Uh, Jarrett Beck asked, "How are we brushing in blinds? Artificial or natural? Grass." I use natural. Yeah. I prefer the natural stuff. Um, when I was working down in Texas a couple of years ago, we had this blind grass stuff um, that's like an artificial grass. And I did like that. Um, it held, like, obviously that stuff's going to hold up longer than natural cover. But um, I typically just try and brush in my blinds, like lay out blind kayak blind as early in the season as possible and then just leave it brushed throughout the entire year. Um, little tip for you. I'm guessing most people know this now, but the best tool, I think end all be all tool for cutting brush is electric hedge trimmers or gas powered hedge trimmers. Um, yeah, you can chop a lot of grass really, really quickly with a good hedge trimmer. So if you are like, doing a-frame hunting or hunting with layout blinds a lot uh definitely something to invest in okay we'll get right back to that i just found it though dead alligator found in kansas river march <laughs> 21 so i i wasn't crazy i knew there was something like that all these years blend together anymore but yeah there wasn't an alligator found in kansas a couple of years ago but huh uh yeah, when you're one thing I want to I do want to mention though, when you're going out with that natural grass, make sure it's not an invasive species that you're harvesting. Typically, mm -hmm. I've seen a couple guys use for their a frames and boat blinds Phragmites in my yeah. area, and that <clears throat> is just it, it, it's an invasive species. There's a native Phragmites as well, but 
typically what we have around is the invasive phragmites. And it's really easy to just, brush, I mean, get a lot of it and brush your stuff in and it looks good, but it is a pain on native wetland ecosystems. So just make sure. Yeah. And I think you can get a nice ticket if you're, you know, spreading it as well. So just make sure you're not oh. using noxious <laughs> weeds to brush your stuff in. Yeah, the two that we always tried to avoid in Virginia were um, Phragmites and Johnson grass. Um, just like, like you said, bad on the ecosystem. Like, I'm guessing most farmers probably wouldn't like really get on you, but if they know their stuff and they like see you bringing, like knowingly bringing Johnson grass into their field, like they're not going to be happy. Be a good way to lose permission just because then they're going to have to go spray more whatever they spray these days, the cambia. There's that pesticide. Sorry, say that again. You cut out there. Oh, what's that? What's dicambia? Or am I pronouncing that wrong? Dicamba. It's a super strong, super strong herbicide. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Is it anything like a Thule? From what I can tell, and maybe... uh, or is it public land waterfowler could help us out here? Tulies are just like cattails, as far as I know. Nah, are they not? Tulies are reeds? bull. Tulies are bulrush. Okay, I don't. Yeah. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I always thought like I always thought because if like if you've been watching Tyson's videos for a long time, he's been he calls them tulies. Always has. So like I thought tulies were like some weird plant that they only had in California. And then, like, I go hunting down in Texas. I'm like, oh, they have tulies here. Like, and then I'm like, wait, take a picture. I'm like, that's just bulrush. Like, you see that everywhere. Like, <laughs> it's nothing special. The ducks do like it. Like, I, I love hunting out of bulrush. As long as it's not too thick, it makes great cover. And, like, you can kind of bend it and manipulate it. So, like, I've made, like, little gun holders out of it before and, like, being able to put my blind bag on it and stuff like that versus like cattails, you know, like unless it's like a really like thick stand of cattails, like there, you can't really use them to hold anything up. They're just too flimsy. Yeah. Okay. So we got a few more questions in here. Uh, y'all ever plan on hunting Michigan? Absolutely. I would love to hunt Michigan. Um, just I, I just need to make it happen at some point. You know, I watch uh, our buddy Jordan's videos from up there, especially those early ones with all the trees, just different colors. Like, because that's part of what I like to do is hunt in like different areas that are just like really scenic to me. That's why I like going to the sandhills. That's why I like hunting around mountains. Like when I go to Wyoming, uh, that's why I want to go hunt Utah. I, I just I, I like the scenery. So some of those areas like Jordan hunts up in Michigan, I would absolutely love to get out on a hunt like that. Um, maybe even get on some sea ducks. Um, I've never shot a black duck, so I'd like to get one of those too. Um, so that 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 is on my list. And then, you know, get some like good walleye up there. And uh, there's a lot of stuff I want to do up in Michigan too. But yeah, that's, that's definitely on my list. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, I might like, there's a like a couple really specific things I want to do there, like really specific areas. I'm not going to name drop, but like I'd like to do some like big water diver hunting up there. Um, 
the puddle duck stuff that Jordan does looks really cool, but like it's it looks very similar to what I'm used to on the East Coast. So I would probably like if I was able to get over there, I would be more inclined to go hit the big lakes and try and get in a layout boat or go hunt uh, canvasbacks and other big divers uh, doing that. Okay. Um, how are those Venari, Venari, sorry, Venari shells? They're, uh, so if you guys don't know, Venari is just another bismuth. They make bismuth loads. I tried some out this past season. They, oh, really? yeah, they work. Uh, I think I had two and two and three quarter inch twos is what I was shooting. And I was just using them mm. on Canada geese. And I mean, they, they worked. I've never, um, usually I just shoot steel out of my 12 gauge. So I, I uh, tried those and yeah, I was, they, they did the job. I don't know if I could say there's, uh, you know, the, the lower velocity on a bismuth load versus the steel load when I'm used, when I'm used to shooting in the 12 gauge might've been part of it, but they, they knocked them dead. I mean, I was satisfied with them. Heck yeah. Well, what do you think? Should we do last call on any questions? We've been going for 85 minutes now, so I think yeah, this will be a, our longest podcast long... to date. Yeah, uh, throw some questions in if you guys have any last call. Um, otherwise, we'll wrap it up, and uh, you can re-listen to this on any podcast uh, platform. If you haven't, if you missed the beginning, this is the first live Battlefront podcast we've ever done, at least to my knowledge. And uh, you can find it on Spotify, Apple, whatever music, I think. any Anywhere you listen to podcasts, you can find it. And then uh, I guess I do have to mention, Thomas, I'm uh, I'm creeping up on you. Yeah, about that. Um, I've been kind of a – I don't want to say it. I've been kind of a D I. I've been, I don't know how to say it. Like, I've not been, I'm not trying to say this, like, I guess politically correct, like family friendly. I've not been good about posting videos. I've said I was going to post videos and didn't, like, haven't lived up to my promises at all in terms of videos. I do have a lot of videos on the backlog. So I've got like 15 hunts from last season. Those will be coming out this summer. Going to be doing Leroy videos. I just like, I don't know, like, I... I didn't, I don't love adding a camera into that element. Like I'm already trying so hard to get so many things right with him that like having to worry about filming that too is not something that I find enjoyable at all. Um, but like got Leroy stuff coming, got for sure a bunch of hunts coming. So we'll see about you catching me. Should be a fun fall. It's going to be, yeah, it's going to be fun. <laughs> I love We, me and Matt, I think I can, I think I could speak for you when I say like we love the friendly competition. Like it's incredibly lighthearted. Like we'll probably go back and forth in it. Like from an outside perspective, it might not seem lighthearted, but like it's just kind of fun. Like bunch of banter and you know. I, I like yeah, I, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter a lick, but it's like it's fun. I like yeah. That's what I you know when Jordan and I were doing those races, that was absolute fun just having all the like making the memes and the stupid little videos and stuff that was just so much fun so <laughs> i had to i had to make one for elliot and i had to make one for titus <laughs> so, yeah. 
I haven't made one for you yeah. yet, but <laughs> we'll see what happens. We'll see. I don't know. I got. I'm really looking forward to putting out these Texas hunts. I got five hunts from Texas from this year, and three of them are probably like the three best mornings of bird action I've ever been under. Just like incredible stuff. So uh, I'm really, really pumped for those. Okay, one last question, and then we'll call that a podcast and live stream. Uh, yeah, if you guys, if you guys like these live streams, you know, let us know, and uh, we can definitely do more. Maybe get some other guys on here, do some guests and stuff. Uh, what was your first duck, Thomas? Mallard Drake jump shot it off a creek, and I think I was about twelve or thirteen years old. Mine was. What about yours? Give me a second. Mine was a mallard drake, and he had that on his leg. That's the only so one I've got, and that's like, I might be, it's close to 20 years now. It might be 20 years since I shot him. So that was the only one I've gotten since, duck or goose, but abandoned mallard drake. So, yeah, that was, that was pretty cool. Yeah, it was pretty wild. Well, probably a good place to wrap this one up i just yeah. want to say like we appreciate everybody who stuck with us through this live stream i know like you know eight nine o'clock ten o'clock if you're on the east coast on a thursday probably isn't the most ideal time for most people um family and all that sort of stuff so appreciate everybody who had time to tune in and watch and drop a question or two yeah thanks guys uh be sure to check us out we have a facebook group for the foul front podcast so if you want to go over and join that appreciate that and you can check out all the other podcasts on kind of like what i just said spotify and all the other places you can listen podcast be sure to check out thomas's youtube channel hoke outdoors and mine high prairie sportsman and we'll catch you on the next one see ya